you have your Bibles, if you turn with me to Ephesians 5, continue in the book of Ephesians together. Be taking a break, though, over Christmas. That'll start next week, our Christmas series. Looking forward to that. I did want to mention, too, uh, we haven't said it much in the announcements, but every year we have the opportunity as a church to help some families during Christmas season. Normally, we would reach out to Sunday school classes, which we've done. We've also reached out to some home groups to see if they would want to sponsor a family for Christmas. But I do have every year, there are some families within our church who their family likes to sponsor a family. And if that's you, if you're interested maybe in helping a family out uh, this Christmas, please see me and let me know. We will try to figure out how to, how to work that out. And so I know some of you like to do that. That's why I wanted to mention it uh, this morning. Ephesians 5, verses 15 to 17 is going to be our focus today. Uh, we'll read that here in a moment. But you remember last week, we were in verses 3 through 14, a bigger section there, where Paul showed us how as Christians, we're to be separate from the filthiness of sin. Paul talks specifically really of, of three sins, sexual morality, impurity, and covetousness. And Paul, you remember, went so far in talking about these sins, not just about like, uh, don't participate in these sins, you know, don't do these sins, but he went so far as to say, don't even discuss them. They shouldn't even be on your, on your tongue. This is how separate from sin we are to be as believers. We are to be working towards that as God grows us and makes us more into the image of his son. And I found it interesting, I, I don't know if you did or not, but the way to fight this that Paul would tell us was with thanksgiving. These sins that he talked about, he said the way, the way to fight these temptations is to actually be, be thankful. To be thankful for what God has given you, be thankful for where God has you, the place that you are at. Be thankful for these things and it will help you to fight these sins and to fight sin in your life. He said this was the key, the key to working things out, being thankful. But later in that passage, we didn't talk too much about it, and we'll talk more about it this morning. Paul goes on to mention that we are to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. I, don't know, I mentioned it some last week, but that difficulty of knowing God's will in your life and how do we discern these things. And, and so Paul talks about it a little bit more, and we'll, we'll talk about it as well in today's passage. So follow along with me, Ephesians 5, focusing in on verses 15 through 17. It says, Look carefully then, how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Stop there. We read Ecclesiastes chapter 3 a little bit ago. It might seem like an odd thing to to read, but the reason my mind went to that and the reason that I wanted to focus on that was because of where we are this morning in Ephesians. Ecclesiastes chapter 3 talks a lot about time. It's also written by who we're told uh, for someone who is very wise, King Solomon. And today that's what we're dealing with. We're dealing with wisdom. We're dealing with how to approach time and the time that we have and how to do this so that we can do the will of the Lord in our life during this time. And I thought Ecclesiastes 3 would be a good place to go. I really want to give passages to Pastor Scott and Pastor Spencer that have nothing to do with anything, and I want to see how they twist it when they talk up here. Uh, but I haven't done that yet. But that's coming. It will happen eventually. In verse 15, 
You'll notice it says, look carefully then how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. So again, Paul's been talking about sin, and now he says, be careful how you walk, right? Not, don't be unwise, but be wise in how you walk. So this idea of walking in wisdom. I'm sure you've talked about this before, heard it talked about, the difference between knowledge and wisdom. Knowledge is something that is obtained in life, right? It's something that we can learn. It's something that we can grow in. Uh, it's an understanding of, of certain things, whatever it might be. It might be a certain topic that we are interested in, and so we want to learn a lot about it, so we might read books on it, watch videos on it, even participate in it to try to understand it better. There are actually some people in this world who would call themselves experts in certain fields. I say that they are experts because they've gained the knowledge needed to be an expert. They could talk to you about these different things for a long time and go into great nuances with whatever topic that might be. It really does, though, take a great deal of work to gain knowledge. It's not always something that just happens. Yes, if you just skate through life without really trying to gain any knowledge, you will still gain some knowledge just in living life. It's just part of it. That's what happens. But there actually is work involved in, in gaining this knowledge that we should have in whatever area it might be. You know, in mathematics and English and science and all these different things that we study uh, when we go off to school. It, it takes work to, to learn these things and to know these things. And some things you find you pick up faster uh, than other things. Sometimes the usefulness of knowledge, I think, can be downplayed. Especially in churches, I've come across that. Uh, they'll say verses like, well, claiming to be wise, they became as fools. And they use that as a way to like say, you, you don't need all of this knowledge. Uh, that old college stuff is, isn't, isn't for us. We, we don't need that. We just need this, this Bible here and, and we are good. And I, I want to try to push back on that. I don't think the Bible teaches us that anywhere. God actually tells us to grow in knowledge. We actually see that Jesus himself as he was growing in, in Luke would grow in wisdom and knowledge and stature of man. And we need to be doing the same thing. Knowledge is good. Knowledge is not something that is bad or that is evil. Now, of course, it can be used for evil, but that's sin. It uses everything for evil. But we need to be willing to obtain knowledge. Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. See, we see that knowledge is something that we should want to obtain, but we also learn that the beginning of knowledge, the way to really start to approach knowledge, first and foremost, is to understand and to fear the Lord. Fearing the Lord, then, is the first steps to real knowledge of him, of who he is, even to how we then understand the world. This is what the Bible would be talking about when it would say claiming to be wise, they became as fools, because claiming to be wise, they have pushed back against God. They say there is no God. That is where their knowledge falls apart. And so we are to try to get knowledge, but we need to also use wisdom. As it said there at the end of Proverbs, fools despise wisdom and instruction. I looked up wisdom and uh, knowledge. I was trying to look and see, you know, in different places, what, what is the comparison? What, what does the world say? And uh, dictionary.com says this. The primary difference between the two words is that wisdom involves a healthy dose of perspective and the ability to make sound judgments about a subject, while knowledge is simply knowing. 
Anyone can become knowledgeable about a subject by reading, researching, and memorizing facts. It's wisdom, however, that requires more understanding and the ability to determine which facts are relevant in certain situations. Wisdom takes knowledge and applies it with discernment based on experience, evaluation, and lessons learned. I thought that was kind of helpful when I, when I read that, but I don't think it sums up enough of what we're talking about biblically when it comes to the wisdom that God gives us. Because when you look at like a verse like James chapter 1, verse 5, uh, maybe you've come across this before. It's up there on the screen. In James, he says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. And so we see that there's an element scripturally for us to obtain wisdom. It's not just about going out and living life and gaining knowledge and having the, God actually gives it to you. It is a gift that God gives to you, that gives to his children. And so it's something that we should be praying for. It's something that we need to be trying to obtain and seeking God's face in it. It's a gift that we should desire, and it's a gift that is received only through Christ. It's not something for the world to have because the world does not accept Christ. They don't accept him. They do not want him, and therefore wisdom cannot be obtained by them because, again, this is a gift that only God can give us. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 26 to 31. Notice what it says here. It says, For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus. Notice this. Who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. You see, for us as the church, for us as Christians, our wisdom is found in the name Jesus. That's it. That is what we boast in. That is what we stand upon. That is where we put all of our chips on the table. It's, it's completely on Jesus. He's the source of all of our wisdom. In fact, he is wisdom for us, as it says there in 1 Corinthians 1. We look to him. And so again, when Paul was talking to the Corinthians church there, he's, he's reminding them, saying, listen, many of you are not of noble birth. Some of you are. Many of you, according to the world, are not very wise. Some of you are, according to the world wise, but not many of you are. But he goes on to encourage this church to say, listen, I, I, what I am doing is I'm using this man, Jesus Christ, who is wisdom, to shame the world. Those who think they are wise, they have, they have rejected me, they have, re, they have rejected their father God, and they have turned from him, and they are claiming to be too wise for that. And so what I have done is I have taken Jesus and I have shamed them, and you have been saved by his blood, and you are now going and serving in this kingdom under the banner of Christ, and it is you now who are shaming them. The world sees you loving each other. The world sees you caring for one another. 
right? The world sees Jew and Gentile coming together. The world sees all these differences that it doesn't matter because you guys are centered in on Christ. And this is the shame that is coming to the world, but it's all because of the wisdom found in Jesus. And so it's important for us then as the church to understand who this Jesus is, right? He's our Savior. Yes, we know this, but I think this is where knowledge comes into play. We have to know him. We have to understand him. And the only way to do this is to be people of his word. Jesus would come and say, I didn't come to abolish the word. I come to fulfill it. And so then we then become people of the word. And so it's our job, our task as believers to know this word. One of the things that we have to make sure that we have uh, as Christians is a particular worldview. And I say the world worldview be purposefully because uh, you will hear that said in other areas and other arenas. And what a worldview is, is, is your worldview actually determines how you act. It determines what you think. It determines how you approach a certain situation. And you guys, you guys know this. I know you do. I know you understand it. There's certain news outlets you won't watch because you say their worldview's messed up. And so you're not even going to watch them. You're not even going to listen to them because you know that their worldview doesn't match with your worldview. And so worldviews are all over the place. Well, when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to the church, when it comes to all of us as individual Christians, we cannot sit here and say, well, we have different worldviews. No, we don't. At least we shouldn't. We have a very singular worldview, and it's called a biblical worldview. Our whole worldview is centered on what this book tells us. What this book says, what this book demands, what this book calls for. And so everything that comes to us from outside of these walls and inside of these walls, we run it through this book. What does the Bible have to say about that? What does the Bible teach us about that? How does the Bible tell us that we should respond to that? And so as believers, our worldview is a biblical worldview, and it is centered in on the fact that Jesus is wisdom. It all comes down to him. And so as we understand the Bible better together, it will help us to have wisdom and to know how to discern the things of the Lord, of which we're getting to. But we must know the Bible. I, I have to think you guys get sick of hearing us say that. We say it all the time. It comes up on Sunday nights. And I have to think that people have to start to say, okay, we get it. Move on. But I don't know if we get it. I don't know if we really get it. Do we really work everything through the lens of Scripture? Does the Bible really determine our yeses and our noes and our we will be a part of this and we cannot be a part of that? Is it all really centered on the Bible and what God has in store for us? I know for me personally, it's still a struggle. It's still a struggle because there are things that I want and that I desire, things that I think will make me feel good or that will make me happy. There are times I don't want to make somebody upset, and so I want to say certain things, even though maybe it's not exactly right scripturally. And so I just assume that if it's still difficult for me, it's probably difficult for most people. And so we need to be reminded to make sure that we are people of the Bible who know the Bible, who are in it, and who are studying it, so that we can then discern the will of God well. Look at verse 16. So he says, not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. I kind of put this walking with a purpose. 
in verse 16. And we are told by Paul to use our time wisely. Now this word here, time, it's an interesting thing to talk about. There's been some discussion about what is really being addressed here. Is Paul just talking about time in general or is he talking about something specific? Uh, I tend to think what Paul's talking about here is he's talking about like chronological time. And what Paul's addressing to this church and what's being addressed to us today is the time that we have right now. Right now at this moment, after reading Ecclesiastes 3, Pastor Spencer said something really interesting. What we have is what? Right now. Uh, you're not promised tomorrow. We don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. You're probably making plans for this week, and I have my own plans. But for all I know, it could change drastically quickly. And so we're not promised these things. And so we, what Paul is saying is this certain time that you have right now, and he's addressing us to think about it. And so I want to ask you this question. When we think about time, when you think about the time you have right now, what do you start to think about? How do you approach time? I dare say I know the answers to most of what you would say. I tried to write some of them down. I don't have enough of it. When I think about time, I just simply don't have enough of it. There's not enough of it in a day. It seems to be fleeting. I could talk to some of you and you could say, man, that just felt like yesterday. It was 40 years ago. It was 50 years ago. For some of you, if you're like me, forgotten most of it. I can't remember what happened a week ago. I was thinking today, I was trying to think, what was the number of my basketball jersey in college? I have no idea. No clue. Couldn't remember? You could tell me any number, I'd say, that sounds right. Might be it. No idea. There's times my kids say, Dad, do you remember this? Nope. No clue. Time just seems to have been forgotten. I know that when I talk to people about time, it seems to be a big source of complaining. We, we don't like how we're spending it or we don't like how we're being forced to spend it. But the fact is this, and I think we know this logically, but we don't feel this way. Did you know you and I have the same amount of time? Did you know that? When it comes to Science, we have seven days a week, 24 hours a day. You and me, we, we both do. And so it's kind of silly for you to complain about the time you have and me to complain about the time I have because we all have the same time. It really doesn't make that much sense. But yet we still seem to want to do it. And so if we all have the same amount of time in the day, how are we going to deal with this time? Because here is a fact, though. While we all do have the same amount of time in the day, we will not all have the same amount of time in our life. I don't know when I'll die. You don't know when you're going to die. I don't know how much time on this earth God is going to grant me. I don't know when he's going to take me home, and I don't know when he'll take you home. And so while there is a certainty that I know within a day I have 24 hours, I just don't know how many days I have. And so then Paul, what he's saying to this church is he's telling this church, because of this, we know how much time is in a day, and if God gives us a day, we know what the time is. You, know, you don't know how much time you have. And so Paul tells us, be wise then with the use of the time that is going to be given to you, and that is given to you. And I've come to the conclusion that it takes great wisdom to use time well. And I seem to run into only very few people who know how to do that, how to use their time well and to use it in a way that is purposeful 
And it's purposeful for one purpose, to glorify God with all of it. With all the time that God has given me, I'm going to glorify God with all of it. And now as we read Ecclesiastes chapter 3, which again, there was a purpose to it, that time that we have is going to look different for all of us. For, for, some, of, for some of us, it's going to mean uh, going off to school and getting a good education, maybe getting a good job, maybe having to move away from home, uh, you know, maybe traveling the world. For some, it might be you're born in Monroe, you stay in Monroe, you die in Monroe. You get married in Monroe, you have kids in Monroe, your kids go to Monroe. But I got to tell you this, both those scenarios can be used to glorify God in every instance. And so it's going to look different in your life. It's going to look different in my life. As Ecclesiastes said, right, there's a time to plant, there's a time to pluck, there's a time to dance, there's a time to mourn. There's all these different times, and it's interesting because it doesn't say, and all these things are sinful. No, there's nothing wrong with it. Work and work hard, Ecclesiastes 3 said. But we do that to glorify God. We work in this way, we work in this field, whatever it might be. We deal with our kids, we deal with our our spouse, our neighbors. We do all this to glorify God. And I've got to tell you, it takes great wisdom to live that way. Because of the things that constantly get thrown at us, the different questions, the different concerns. And so it's hard to navigate this world in a way that is glorifying to God, that is God honoring to him in a biblical way. And again, it goes back to we need to know what the biblical way is. We need to know his book. We need need to know what he's calling us to. Because again, it's not going to be the same for all of us. So we can't just, we can't just stamp people out and say, now do this and it's going to succeed. That's why Sunday school and home groups and all that stuff, it's so difficult. You know, you're like, we want to disciple people in the Lord and we want them to love the Lord and glorify the Lord. This is what we want. Well, how do we do it? Well, it's going to look different for all kinds of people because people are in different spots in life. People learn different, all these different things. But it doesn't change the fact that we're supposed to use our time wisely. And so Paul says, use your time wisely. And he gives us a warning why. Notice what he says. Because the days are evil. We do this with wisdom because we know the days are evil. Now, no matter what point in history you read this, it's true. We can't say, well, man, he was very prophetic here and was probably thinking of our time. No, he was thinking about their time. He was telling this church, you live in an evil age, in an evil time. And so handle your time well. We have the same thing. We know this. Evil runs rampant in the world. It runs rampant because of sin. Most people that we run into on a daily basis are simply enslaved to sin. They probably don't even know it. They don't even realize it. They think they're living their life with freedom and doing whatever they want. No, they're not. They are completely enslaved to sin. You say, how do you know that, Pastor Tim? It's what the Bible tells us. And so the biblical worldview understands that. They're enslaved to sin. They can't even help what they're doing. They're so lost in it. They think it's right. They think it's wise. And it's not. And so we run into this all over the place. And so then, therefore, because of that, for those of us who've been freed from sin, we've been freed from sin because of Jesus, we then have to use our time well, understanding some things. We need to understand that there are those who are dying and going to hell. Those people that you talk to that you think are so evil that you don't like, they are enslaved by sin, and if they die, they are going to hell. You need to understand that. And hopefully that will help you in handling them and dealing with them and loving them and being gracious to them. 
You need to understand that everything the world throws at us in opposition to God is in opposition to God who saved us. That's what it is. The Bible tells us they are rebelling against God, not me. They're rebelling against God. We need to understand that as we live in this evil age, God has called us as the church, as individual Christians, to be light in this dark world. Paul talked about that earlier in Ephesians 5. So we can't lay in bed and say, the world just stinks too bad. I'm just going to stay in bed today. Now, don't get me wrong. Those days feel great. I mean, I'm a little too antsy. I can't really do that. It just doesn't work for me. But I understand that. I'm just going to go to the woods today. No sinners out there, well, except for me, I guess. I ain't got to deal with it. I'll just sit in here all by myself, maybe put a podcast in, and good. Yeah, while those days can kind of be refreshing, listen, that's not what God has called me to in this life. What he's called me to as a believer and as a Christian, he says, Tim, you're going to be, you need to be light in a dark world. And so it means I'm going to have, I'm going to have situations where I have to deal with, with the darkness. We also have to understand that God has called us as a church family to truly love each other. And there's a reason behind it. It's so that the world can actually see what true love is. I'll keep harping on this. You can sit in this pew and you can sit in your couch and you can be so mad at what you hear on the news. You can be so mad at how the world is pushing against the Bible that you love. And one of the things, one of the areas that they sin greatly with is the word love. Of what is loving, what is this? The only way the world is ever going to truly see what love is is if we actually love each other as a church how we're supposed to do it. Because we're the only ones who actually know what love is. And so if we're not loving each other faithfully how we are called to do, how in the world then can we be mad at them for not understanding what love is? We're the ones who hold it, but we're not willing to display it. Then why would we push back at them when they aren't displaying it? You get what I'm saying? There's a reason that God calls us to love each other. It's because he uses it for the world to see. And yes, they might still push against it, but God uses it to prick their hearts and to see the sin that they are in. All of this that we've been talking about takes purposeful living, making the best use of our time. I wonder how many parents say, you know, I wish I could have used my, my time more wisely when my kids were in my home. I wonder how many people right now would say, you know, I really wish I would have used my teen years better I wish I would have thought more about my 20s, my 30s, my 40s, my 50s. I wonder how many of us would really think that. Well, let me put a, put a little weight off of your shoulders. You can't go back and change it. You can't change it. It's over. That time is gone, and it's past, and it is what it is. And if you're a Christian this morning, God saved you despite all of that. He saved you in the midst of all of that. And so let me challenge you with this, though, when it comes to time. We still have one more verse. But what you do have is now. That's what Paul's getting at. What you do have is the time you have right now. And so make the best use of it. If you say, well, I just haven't been the best grandparents to my grandkids, that can change now. You could do that now. Or, or from parents, we'll hear, well, we've never really done worship in our home and my kids are teenagers now. Wouldn't it just be awkward? Let it be awkward. 
Do it now. Now's the time to do it. Yeah, it would have been great if you would have done it when they were one, two, three, four, but that's over. Start it now and let God work in their life at this moment now. Paul says, don't waste the time that you have, but be purposeful in it. Make the best use of the time because the days are evil. And then we'll close with verse 17. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. There will be times in your life, no doubt, when it's difficult to know exactly what the will of the Lord is. I don't, I don't doubt that. I remember last week I told you guys, knowing the will of the Lord is pretty simple. And I, I still will hold to that because there's matters that the Bible is very clear on. If you study the Bible, if you know the Bible, you will know almost every time this is sinful. I shouldn't be doing it. It won't even be a question. You will know that how maybe you should be worshiping God, how you should, how you should be doing these things. It's, there's not much to question when you know the book well. But I also know that there's going to be job opportunities maybe that come up, and your question is this, is this what God's will is for my life? And I can't say, well, hey, turn to Ecclesiastes 3, and there it is. You know that. It doesn't work that way. And so these are the times when I'm saying it can be difficult it can be difficult to know, is this what God has for me? Should I change this? Should I, be, should I be moving and trying to think through all these things? And listen, yes, that can be difficult. And it's hard for us to know clearly, is this the will of the Lord? And these are the times when we need to make sure that we're in prayer, we're seeking after his face, we're still in the word, when we're seeking counsel from our brothers and sisters in the Lord to help us. That's part of the reason God gave us our church family, to help us with these things to be burdened over them, to say, is this what I'm supposed to be doing? I'm not quite sure. Yes, those times will be difficult, but this is when we seek after God and say, God, give me wisdom here. God, give me wisdom here. And this is what I think. Our desire in all of that, as we, as we do that, trying to discern the will of God, this needs to be our desire. Our desire needs to be to be faithful to him in all the things, in all things. I would have a really hard time as pastor, unless there was like some sin or something, say, Pastor Sim, it's this job or this job. Which one should I do? If you come to me with that question, I'll be like, ah, I don't know. Let's make a positive and negatives chart, pros and cons. Let's go down the list. Let's figure it out. I mean, that's probably how I'm going to do it, right? But I think that's wise counsel. God has given us wisdom and knowledge, as we said but we need to be asking, can we be faithful in these things? Am I being faithful where God has put me now, working in retail? Am I faithful there to him? Working in the office, am I faithful to him there? Being a mom, am I being faithful as a mother, as a father? This is the stuff that I think we need to be asking when it comes to knowing the will of the Lord. Paul says here that we use our time wisely to discern this will of the Lord and to not be foolish and the question that comes to my mind is, what does he mean by foolish? Because if I'm being honest, there's a lot of times I feel that way. Like, I don't know what to do. I have no idea. I hope what I'm doing is right. right? I hope this is the thing. And so how can I make sure that I'm not being foolish? Well, the Bible speaks to that. First in Psalm 14.1. says, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. This is the first sign of foolishness. There is no God. Now, I'm going to guess, those of you sitting in here, very few of you think that. There is no God. I, I don't know why you'd be here. 
Unless you're a, a child and your parents have forced you here, and then maybe that's you. And I would say that you're showing the first signs of foolishness, of rejecting God. But as I was thinking about that, I think the Bible also tells us something else. The Bible also tells us that there, there are people who are fools who do recognize God, yet they simply do not care what God's desires are, and they only care about themselves. I was talking to Pastor Spencer about this, and he pointed me to Psalm 50, and so I want to read a chunk of Psalm 50, and I want us to meditate on it and think about it. Because this is my fear for myself. I find, out, I find that this is where I often need to repent and need to go to God. Those times where I say, God, I, I recognize you as Lord. I recognize you as Savior. I recognize you as King of my life. And I recognize that you're asking me to do this certain thing. But the answer is no. Now, you tell me how that makes sense. But that's a struggle that I have. And Psalm 50, I think, speaks to it. Psalm 50, beginning in verse 7. It says, hear, O my people, and I will speak. O Israel, I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your burnt offerings are continually before me. I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. For every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills, and all that moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? Offer to God a sacrifice of thanksgiving and perform your vows to the Most High and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. But to the wicked, God says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips. I want you to notice that line because that line shows that they recognize God. They recognize who he is. This isn't, this isn't the people who say there is no God. These people recognize God. And he says, what right have you to recite my statutes or take my covenant on your lips? For you hate discipline. And you cast my words behind you. If you see a thief, you are pleased with him, and you keep company with adulterers. You give your mouth free rein for evil, and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother. You slander your own mother's son. These things you have done, and I have been silent. You thought I was, like, I was one like yourself? But now I rebuke you and lay the charge before you. Mark this, then, you who forget God, lest I tear you apart and there be none to deliver. The one who offers thanksgiving as his sacrifice glorifies me. The one who orders his way rightly, I will show the salvation of God. I really think the warning of this passage and what Paul has been getting at as we've been walking through chapter 5 together is Paul has been saying, those who are in the light are going to walk as light. Those who are Christians are going to be Christians. And I think the big warning is this. Watch yourself unless you are fooling yourself to think you are a Christian just by placing money in these plates up here. Be careful to think you're just a Christian because you walk in these doors and you sit here and you listen to a sermon and then you go home. Be careful to think you're a Christian because your house is adorned with some Bible verses on the wall. 
in a pretty frame. Paul's saying, make sure you're a Christian because you've been actually saved by the blood of the Lamb, Jesus, and you live your life fully for him every second of every day. That is what we are. That is the call that we are supposed to do. Just like that call against Israel in Psalm 50, where God would say, your big sin is you think I'm just like you. And I think we still sin that way. We think God is just like us, and we're like, ah, you get it, knuckles. Give me some knuckles. He's not like us. Sin's not just something that we brush by. Worship of, of him is not something that we can just be kind of passe about. He is not like us. And he says, what I desire isn't these sacrifices, isn't all these things. I want thanksgiving. I want you to be thankful for what I have done for you. I want you to be thankful that I have called you, that I have saved you, that I have redeemed you, and that I continue to work in your life. I want you not to hate my discipline not to hate my word. I want you to love my word, to know my word, to follow my word. This is what God desires of his people. And I think this is the call for us as we walk into this Thanksgiving weekend. It's easy for us to think about the things that we have been thankful for, especially when it's timed out, especially when we're given time in a year. It's like, okay, this is the time that we are thankful Paul has already told us, true thanksgiving drives sin away. And now as we see, as we look at Psalm 50 in conjunction with the, what Paul has been saying, true thanksgiving is what God desires from his people. That's worship. That's worship. That's sincerity. That's truth. I dare say that's wisdom. That's where true wisdom is found in those who will fall before him in thanksgiving and gratitude and worship him with their lives, purposefully, each and every day. I know it's a challenging task. I know it's one that probably causes us to question ourselves very often. But I want to remind you, just like I reminded you last week, of what the Gospel of John says when Jesus is talking in John 6, where he tells us, anyone who the Father gives me, listen, I hold on to, I don't, I don't lose them. I don't let, I don't let go of them. And that's what, that's what enables me, personally, to get up and do it again every day. Every Sunday when I sit, sit right here and we're singing songs, and the prayer is the same every week. Every week. Well, God, once again, I'm getting ready to preach the word of God as a sinner who has failed this week again. Is there any chance that this week you could maybe use what I'm going to say? Uh, every week. Same thing, over and over and over again. And I gotta be honest with you, if it wasn't for what Jesus said in the Gospel of John, that listen, I don't let go those who my Father had given me, it'd be, I give up. But in the end, I know it's not about me. He's holding on to me, I'm not holding on to him. He's saved me, he loves me. And then that's where my thanksgiving comes out. Thank you. That's where my worship comes from. Thank you for loving me. Thank you for giving me time. Thank you for letting me be light in a dark world. Thank you for letting me serve you. Thank you for the things that you have given me. I think when our heart is that way, 
That's when we're actually worshiping God, how he's called us to worship. So let us be a church who worships him well. Let's bow, let's pray. We're gonna sing a final song and then let you respond to the word of God and then we'll, I'll come up and dismiss us. God, I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the challenge of it. But God, I thank you for the fact that Jesus paid the price for my sins. And not just mine, but others here who because of your grace poured out in their life by faith, they've trusted in Jesus. And God, they have the same testimony. That each day when we go to lay our heads down on our pillow, it can feel overwhelming to think, did I use my time well? Did I even think thoughts of sin? Did I struggle with this or that? Was I light in a dark world? And yes, we want to grow in all of those things, and we pray that you would help us to do that. But God, we can rest our head on our pillows in peace and in comfort, knowing that it's the blood of Jesus that saves me, not my doing. And so God, I thank you for your grace. God, of course, we want to serve you better. We want to worship you the best that we can with our life. Help us, God, to be wise. Help us to have great knowledge of your word, but help us to have the wisdom to know how to live that out faithfully in each of the situations we face each day with our children, with our coworkers, with, with other students at school, with teachers, with whatever it might be, whoever, whoever we're having communication with. God, we want to glorify you in everything we say and do. And so help us to do that. And God, we pray that we would love each other well. And God, we pray that our lost friends, our, our lost family members would take notice. It might seem weird to them, but God, that's okay. It's going to. So I pray that they would take notice and that you would give us opportunity to share the good news of the gospel with them. And we trust that you will work in their hearts and their lives because your word tells us that you will. So God, we trust you with that. God, as we sing this last song to you this morning, I pray that it would be honoring to you, that it would glorify you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.